All right, should we dive into the Word this morning? As Jeff mentioned, we're going, we've been going through a series on Christmas carols, and uh, today we're going to be talking about the carol, uh, O Come All Ye Faithful. And Jeff started stealing some of my thunder there, but it is true, this, we don't really know who actually wrote the song, O Come All Ye Faithful. We're going way back into the maybe 13th and 14th, 15th centuries, uh, and, and it was originally written in Latin. Now, how many of you speak and sing in Latin? Oh, come on, you're full of it now, I know that. <laughs> Derek raised his hands, come on. Well, Latin is, is an ancient language, and it was the language that the Catholic Church used for its liturgies, and, and this was before the Reformation, so virtually all of our ancestral roots are in the Catholic Church. There was only really two churches at the time. Uh, you had your Orthodox Church and your Catholic Church who had split in the Great Schism in the 1200s. And so all that we were, and the Western Church became the Catholic Church, and that's kind of where our roots are. And it was it was written in Latin. We don't know who it was. There's like I found at least nine different verses. I think we sang three today, Jeff. Did we? Was there three verses? Maybe four, three. Yeah, yeah, three. Because the other ones are kind of hard to sing. Um, I mean, we saw the come ye. I mean, some of you know who ye is because you had to read the King James when you were a kid. But kids today hear ye and they're like yeet. What is that? That doesn't even make sense. Dad, explain this to me. Well, one thing we know about music is back in the day, being back in the Middle Ages and prior, not everybody was literate. And the Latin language was kind of proprietary, if you will, to the church. And it came out of Rome. And and so not everybody spoke the language. Bibles weren't on every coffee table in the world like they are today. We didn't have the printing press yet. If you had a Bible, it was a very precious thing, and hopefully it was in a language you could understand. And so what they did instead is they would have their church services would be very liturgical. A lot of churches today are still very liturgical. Or we, they would do things like Jeff did today where we recite something that's true or something that we want to say. And music was significant in the theology of people. You couldn't, you couldn't go home and read your Bible and have Bible studies and all the books and all the resources we have at our disposal. So singing was a major part of teaching. Because when you would memorize a song like, Oh, come all ye faithful, there's a lot of theological truths that people would learn. That's why we have hymns. Because it was a way of learning good theology, hopefully, and traditions and things like that. They were meant to help with those things. So, Oh, come all ye faithful would be right in line with that. It's actually the, uh, traditionally, it's the final song sang at St. Peter's Basilica in the Vatican. How many of you know what the Vatican is? Little independent place, head of the Catholic Church right in the middle of Rome. It, uh, St. Peter's Basilica is probably the most significant building there, and it, it's got significant history. Like, this was the part in preparing for my message where I just wanted to rabbit trail off into church history. I'm like, come on, keep it, keep it. But I just want to throw out there a couple of things. St. St. Peter's Basilica was actually a major, it's, a, it's like, it's a, it's a basilica. It's like a cathedral kind of a building. And they have Christmas services there. The Catholic Church does. And traditionally, O Come All Ye Faithful is the final song sang there. And St. Peter's Basilica was actually a source of major controversy and part of the prompting of the uh, Protestant Reformation in the 1500s. Because the Catholic Church was raising money to build this building back in the 1500s. Nothing in the United States was built in the 1500s, 
right? <laughs> there are some old buildings over there in Europe, and it's amazing. Uh, but what, what they were doing is they were selling indulgences in order to pay for the building, and that led to some corruption. And then a lot of the Catholic priests and monks, like Martin Luther, started to push back against some of the stuff that was going on with the raising of funds for St. Peter's Basilica. And then we have the, the Protestant Reformation that took place in the 1500s, and it's why you and I are here today. I would love to talk more about that, but we're not going to today. One of the most common verses, and I just want to use this to point out to you how much teaching or theology was put into these songs on purpose. We don't sing this verse, and you'll probably understand why as I read it to you. God of God, light of light. If you know church history, those words are important. Lo, he abhors not the virgin's womb, very God begotten, not created. Also very important theological language in the early establishment of the church. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. A lot of key words in this song that we sang today. Faithful, O come all ye faithful, you who are full of faith, you who are loyal. So the key word I focus in on today is faith, but there are many other important words in this carol when we sing it. Joyful and triumphant. How many of you feel joyful and triumphant today? I was at my wife's Christmas party last night and they were doing, of course, a white elephant gift exchange. And on one of the bags was a Christmas ornament that said joy on it. So I took the ornament off and tied it on my shirt right here. It said joy right there. I'm going to fake it till I make it here in this white elephant gift exchange. Are we joyful and triumphant? Those are big words. Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. The king of angels, singing angels. You heard the words in there, citizens of heaven. Very important words. Word in flesh now appearing. You know what that means? John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. Yeah. Became flesh and dwelt among us. The fulfillment of prophecy, Jesus was. God in the flesh. Oh, come let us adore him. Adore is a strong word. It's not a word I take lightly. It doesn't just roll out of my mouth real easily. To adore something is pretty intense. Come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. What I want to focus in on with you today is the word faith, because it's the word faithful and its root faith, because it's such an important word in Christianity that I think it's really important that we look at what, what are some of the stories in the Bible about faith? What are some of the scripture passages? What do we learn about faith? If this song is inviting the faithful, the people full of faith, to adore Christ, what is faith? And I think sometimes it can be, you know, we have synonyms for it, words like belief. We believe, therefore we have faith, things like that. And, and we're going to unpack that word and maybe learn a little bit more about it. And I hope that today you're inspired and that you become thoughtful about what it means to have faith. And I hope you actually have a desire to grow in your faith from what we learn this morning. I want to begin with the most important concept about faith. Your salvation, your relationship with Jesus Christ, your eternal security with Christ is based on faith. Salvation is by faith. When I say salvation, I'm talking about the fact that even though our mortal body dies, we go on to eternity with Christ. 
Our, our spirit goes to be with him, and then someday in a new creation, we receive a new body. That salvation, that saving that we need in this broken world, it comes by faith. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 is where we're going to begin. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. How am I saved? The reason Paul's having to make this argument, and the scripture has to make it repeatedly, is people have a hard time just accepting a gift. Doesn't Christmas time kind of teach us that? It's one of the things that bothers me about this season, is when I get the sense that I'm obligated to get somebody a gift, or they got me a gift and therefore I'm obligated to get them one. Or you guys that give out Christmas cards, I feel obligated to give you one as well, although I'm not going to. Okay, that's just not going to happen. There's this obligation that comes in. It doesn't have to be that way. I mean, sometimes we receive a gift and we're just joyful and want to give the joy back to somebody else. Okay, so it doesn't always feel like obligation. But we feel that way about God. I'm messed up. I've screwed up. I'm broken. I better do some good things to earn some favor from God i got to make my relationship right with him, and so I better do some good deeds. Look, there's nothing wrong with the good deeds, but you have to understand that you are not saved by those. You are powerless against the condemnation of sin without Christ. It is a gift. You're saved by grace. God looked with compassion on mankind and decided, I will make a way. I will send my son. That's why we celebrate his birth. It's so important that God chose to humble himself and become like a man in order to rescue mankind. It's a gift. You've been saved by grace through faith. So all of a sudden you're like, wow, those are really important words. If I'm saved through faith, what is faith? What is it? What does it mean? How do I understand it? I want to talk about the vocabulary of the word faith and why it gets translated this way. Uh, if you were to do a word study on the book of faith, or on the word of faith, then you would find uh, tons of information. And, and uh, I, I wanted to just unpack all this, but we'd be here all day. And so I just want to talk about the basic understanding of the word used for faith, particularly in the Greek. And it comes from this idea, really the root word of faith begins with the idea of being persuaded persuaded of something. When you're persuaded of something, you've learned about it, or somebody's talked to you about it, and you've come to a place where you believe it. You become persuaded. So part of the root idea of faith is to be persuaded. You know, maybe you're, maybe you're like me, and you're trying to persuade your wife to buy you that awesome gift for Christmas, which is way outside my budget. Come on, Jenny. I just need a Corvette for Christmas. It'll be... <laughs> It'll be all right. No, dream on, Roger says. That's right. Well, I'm trying to persuade. I'm trying to convince. Maybe you've been persuaded of some things about who you are or who God is or what heaven might be like or what the new creation might be like. You've become persuaded. So there's an idea of persuasion in the word faith. There's also this idea of trust, so it starts to take on a little more substance than just believing. And that's one of the distinctions I want to make today between faith and belief. You know, I can, I can read something and believe it, 
You know, I, I read in a, you know, on the magazine or newspaper, exercise is good for you. Okay, I believe that. I've been persuaded of that. But I'm not really loyal to that. I don't really, I'm not putting real energy and effort showing that I believe that into it. So there's a difference between belief and faith. I can acknowledge facts and have no faith. We're going to look at a passage towards the end of my message today that says, even the demons believe, but they don't have faith. What's the difference? There is, a little, there is some nuanced difference between belief and faith. So when we're unpacking this idea of faith, there's trust. Trust is a little more giving of yourself into a relationship, not just acknowledging facts. Okay, there's a little more depth to it. It's the idea of loyalty. If I said you were a faithful friend to me, it would have this idea that I trust you, that you are, you're faithful to me, meaning you're loyal, you're consistent, you're dependable, you're reliable. I'm persuaded of our relationship. Okay, so you take these words like persuasion and trust and loyalty. That starts to shape the idea of what faith really is. It's why we can't just say that we can't just say that I believe that Jesus was real. A lot of people believe Jesus was real. It's got to go beyond that to a, a loyalty and a trust. And I would say even action. So when you take this idea of belief and trust and loyalty and action and put them all three together, that's what faith is. And we'll unpack some scriptures here bearing witness to that truth shortly. It's, it, it was also used, and still really is used, you know, if, you, if, if I do something in good faith, it means that it's trustworthy, it's guaranteed. Faith also communicates the idea of guarantee or warranty. Those dang car warranty phone calls, right? What's a warranty or a guarantee? If I guarantee my work, if I make something for you, a product, or if I tell you that I'm going to do something for you, and I guarantee it, you know, why do we need that extra little step? Why do we need to reinforce the idea that I guarantee what I do? We need that reassurance, that promise almost. No, really, it actually is. It's a warranty, it's a promise, it's a guarantee. Uh, when we think of the word faith, it also, you know, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, uh, we'll look at this more later too, that, that faith is the evidence of things unseen. It's a guarantee of something that has not been fulfilled all the way yet. Paul says, who hopes for what he already has? No, the idea of hope and faith have a, an element of them that looks ahead. You know, you have a guarantee in case something breaks, or if I guarantee I'm going to do something for you, it maybe didn't happen yet, but I have to guarantee it so that you know that it will. Faith is a guarantee as a part of our salvation. So faith is a deep word. It has a lot of angles on it that we have to think about and wrestle with. Romans chapter 4 verse 16, Paul's making an argument about our salvation and and why it does not depend on the law of the Old Testament. It doesn't depend on the Ten Commandments. It doesn't depend on all the law that follows there. It actually depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace. There we see that word again. 
God designed a system that depends on faith rather than on man's ability. Because we all know we fall short, right? We're weak. If it's totally up to us, we're all done. Because we all fail and we're all weak and we all make mistakes and we get it wrong sometimes. We have to have grace to make it. So it depends on faith so that the promise may rest on grace. So that it's not dependent on you, but upon God himself. And be guaranteed to all, there's a word, guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. I want to just, this whole concept of faith really goes back to Abraham. And I I know we don't have time to cover Abraham's story, but God made a promise to him. And the Bible says that when God made made a promise to Abraham, he believed it. But, and, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So because Abraham believed, God considered him righteous. Was Abraham righteous in and of himself? No. Abraham made lots of mistakes. And he continued to make mistakes. But God called him righteous because he trusted that what God said would become true. So it was a belief. It was a loyalty. It was a persuasion. Abraham took action based on that. He relocated. He went where God told him to go, all by faith. There was, no, there was no rules. There was no law. There was no checklist for God. God simply spoke to Abram, and Abram believed him. And that's where this idea of faith comes from. And then God's promises rest on the idea that you and I would place a trusting loyalty, a, a conviction, a, a convinced mindset into something. So coming to faith is a sign. Coming to faith is a lot more than just reading a story and go, that's just good historical information. So deeper than that, it's a belief that brings transformation and prompts action. That's what faith is. And our salvation depends on faith. The rest of the conversation about faith draws its understanding from this point. Faith for salvation is the foundational thing to understand when then talking about faith for everything else. Because we have faith for other things, right? Faith for healing, faith for provision, faith for protection. Where does that all come from? This idea that we trust in God for our salvation by faith. We see in, uh, there's a list of gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. God gives lots of gifts, but it says right here, to another faith by the same Spirit. There is a gift of faith. Again, this is the gift of God. Now, this starts to become a very important part of when we're wrestling with the idea of faith. Faith did not originate with you. That's hard for some people to accept. In fact, it, we just... <laughs> I read an article this week, and the title of the article was, Faith is Not a Gift from God. And I thought, that's interesting. How does he do that? And the guy makes the case that it's all up to you. It's all up to you to conjure up this conviction and loyalty and commitment. And we do have a part to play, and I'll get to that. But we have to understand, if God had not promised something to man, we would be in trouble. 
There would be no salvation. Faith begins with God. It begins with God. It is a gift of God. Now, what does it mean to have a gift of faith? I think some people are more gifted than others with faith. They just have an absolute persuasion of something that God has said, whereas someone else might struggle a little bit. Paul talks a lot about this in Romans, is it 14, 13 or 14? Talks about one guy's faith allows him to eat meat. The other guy, does, he has weaker faith, he can't eat the meat. Okay? We need to be grace, gracious with one another over the degree of faith that we have. You may have more faith than me in a certain area. I may have more faith than you. And it's a gift of God. It's something God put in me. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say everyone among you not... Uh, what does that say? Not, okay, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Do you have anybody you'd like to say that to? You ought to not think high, as highly as yourself. I'm just teasing. Well, I'm not, but okay. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that you conjured up in yourself. It's not what it says. The faith that God assigned. Okay? Hopefully I'll bring this full circle and you'll understand maybe the bigger picture here, but this all begins, you have to understand, faith originates with God. He gives it. It's a gift. Jesus said no one comes to the Father. You know, no one comes unless he enables them, unless he calls them. It is, this, again, this gets hard when we start thinking about what does it mean to be saved. That's not fair. It's not fair that my wife got more faith than me. God never said it would be fair. He said, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. Those are hard things for us to hear and hard for us to trust God with when he says those things. It's not always fair. We have varying degrees of faith. We're all on a journey too. I can tell you my faith for a lot of things is a lot bigger now than it was when I started. Things like faith for provision. God has provided for me and my family so many times, I have a lot more faith for it than I used to. My conviction, my loyalty, that God is my provider, my, my belief with action is because God has demonstrated himself faithful over and over and over again. That's another point. What, who, who is our example of faithfulness? God. Steadfast. Loyal even when you're not. More loyal than any person ever could be. So loyal that he laid down his life for all mankind. So loyal that when man rebelled, he didn't give up on mankind, but he began to engineer how he would rescue mankind. No one's as faithful as God. Very convinced, persuaded. If we could personify him that much. He's bigger than that, but he's our example. So we have, to, we have to recognize there's a component of faith that that's from God. It's his gift to us. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes as revelation. Maybe you remember the moment you, you really surrendered and put your loyalty and conviction and belief in Christ. Do you remember that moment? Some of you do. 
You remember that moment, and it's like the lights went on. There was a revelation. Now is the time. When the Word of God comes, it brings and births faith. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. So what happens is when we're, you know, we'll just start with the Bible because that's the most common sense thing here. When God speaks through his word, it begins to birth faith. It's why we have to preach. It's why he's talking about this in Romans chapter 10. Not preach necessarily like this, but preaching really is to bring a message. So every day of your life, wherever you work, wherever you play, wherever you go to school, You are preaching something. What is it? Your actions, your behavior, your attitude, the way you relate to people is bringing something to people and they're learning. But then the time comes when we talk to somebody about what the word of God teaches and its truth and its power all of a sudden births faith. That gift comes with revelation. When we read the word of God, we go, oh, when the Bible teaches me something about God heals. Ah, Maybe I didn't believe in healing before, but as I study it in the Bible, I begin to believe. And not only do I just acknowledge the fact, but then I begin to take action. I begin to be loyal to the scripture that says, pray for the sick. Not just because it tells me to, but I actually have faith. I actually believe God can do it. So faith starts to come alive with the word of God. It comes by a revelation of truth. The Bible says when you hear the truth, the truth will set you free. And when we hear the truth of Jesus' birth and life and death and resurrection and what that means for you and I, all of a sudden our faith, oh, I'll take that. I'll receive that gracious gift. Faith is such an important part of who we are. So when you're, taught, when you're even thinking like, what is this thing of faith? How do I, can I, God gives it to me. Can I increase in it somehow? Can I foster that thing God has given me? If God has given you a gift, his intention is that you use it, that you foster it, you grow it, you develop it, you're accountable with it, you invest it in the lives of others. Faith is like that. If, if God has given me a gift of faith, which all of us to some degree have, right, to believe, the ability to even believe, then I'm going to nurture that thing. I'm going to feed it like a pet. I'm going to give it the word of God because the word of God is truth and my belief, my loyalty, the things that I do will become more alive and more powerful as I'm recognizing the truth and the power of God that I see in his word. And it'll prompt me to action and grow my faith. You want to grow your faith? Spend some time in the word. Spend time in prayer. Learn who God is because it will increase your faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. By the way, Hebrews chapter 11 is full of, it's just a story of faith. It's talking about, hey, I mean, you look at Abraham. We talked about him. There's a whole list of people in there. You got, you got uh, Noah. I mean, can you imagine being Noah? God says, hey, I'm going to flood the world, build a big boat. Any of you going to do that? Noah was a man of faith. God graced him with revelation, spoke his word to him, right? And Noah believed it, was loyal to it, took action on it. That's faith. And you can thank Noah that you're all here today. 
because he, he was a man of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, full list there of people of faith. People that might surprise you in that list. Things they did because they were convinced, persuaded with action and loyalty. They, they, they were entrusted with something and trustworthy, and they trusted God in return. There's a guarantee there. I guarantee you I'm going to flood the world kind of thing. It's just very interesting when you unpack faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So faith is it's a substance. It's an evidence, depending on your translation. What do we need evidence for? Like if you, I mean, when you say evidence, the first thing you think of is a crime scene, right? Well, you didn't see what happened, but you see evidence that it happened. There are things that guarantee it happened or is going to happen. You know, people are predicting all kinds of things in the world, right? And we look at this list of evidence and try and then predict what's going to happen. That's kind of what faith is. It's the evidence, it's the substance of something we are hoping for that we don't fully yet have. We are saved but aren't fully saved yet. There's so much about our salvation yet for us to experience. And so what faith is, is when we have that revelation of truth, it grows in us and goes, I, be, I, I more than just acknowledge the fact, I'm going to be loyal to, I'm going to take action on this guarantee, this evidence that God has given me. And it's not material evidence, it's faith. It's belief that takes action and is loyal. I didn't, I didn't choose all that myself. He blessed me with the ability to even do it. And so because he did that for me, I'm going to lay hold of that and keep going. Does that make sense? It's kind of, kind of can get a little bit hard to grasp. But just the fact that you believe is some evidence in and of itself. You really believe in someone you've never seen? In fact, there are no photos of? In fact, no one in here has ever seen? You all believe in a guy like that? You're weird. No, I have faith. The revelation came to me through the word of God, and my heart went, this is true. How do I know that's true? I don't know, but I know. It's real. That's faith. It's a gift from God. Thank God you have it. And how does it come? By the word. It's why we need to be taking the word everywhere we go. Not taking your Bible and smacking people upside the head with it, but actually just demonstrating it in your day-to-day life and the way you treat people and live. And when the opportunity comes that you have to share good news with them, that word may just birth faith in them. And they will come to Christ. And they will be a new creation, as the Bible teaches. We have a responsibility with faith. Second... Uh, yes, Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. So we have this faith, and we have sight, and we look around at the world, and we start pulling our hair out and throwing stuff at the news, and, you know, canceling our Facebook accounts like I'm about to do. You've been warned. We look around, and we get anxious, and we doubt. What's going to happen? What, is God real? If God's real, why? Blah, 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 blah. Our eyes take this in, but our faith tells us a different story. So we do, as Paul said, we walk by faith, by belief, by loyalty in the word of God and the character of God and who God is. We put all of our trust in that. 
And even though our eyes are wanting to make us doubt, remember Peter when he got out of the boat and he saw the wind and the waves and he began to doubt and he began to sink and Jesus lays hold of him. Why did you doubt? There's a lot of faith stories in the Bible. I just have a few minutes here left. I want to read this to you. Matthew uh, chapter 15. Real interesting story here. It's called, you know, the subtitle of it is The Faith of a Canaanite Woman. If you had been through our recent small group we did on the unseen realm, you'd have a lot more context here for what it meant to be a Canaanite. But the Canaanites were the ones who occupied the land before God's people took it over. They sacrificed their children to their gods. Their practices were very gruesome and they worshipped other gods. So the fact that this woman is a Canaanite is significant. And Jesus went away, beginning in verse 21 of chapter 15, from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord. For a woman to be calling Jesus Lord, a Canaanite woman to be calling Jesus Lord, that's a big deal. This Jesus, uh, you know, the God of the Jews was not the God of the Canaanites. But this woman recognizes something here. She must believe something about Jesus. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Very important words. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word, and his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, not Canaan. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. I'm not taking... God's blessing for the people that honor him and giving them to somebody that worships a false god. But then she says this, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus answered her, Oh, woman, great is your faith. Great is your faith. She was believing something against all odds, a Canaanite woman, that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is the son of David, Jesus is the one that can drive this demon from her daughter. She believes so strongly that she's putting herself in a highly unusual situation. And Jesus recognized that's faith. Significant faith. Belief with loyalty and action. And he says, uh, be it done to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. A great story of faith. So much to it. The disciples said in Luke chapter 17, verse 15, Lord, increase our faith. They couldn't get rid of a demon. They, they're, God, increase our faith. He said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you could move that mountain. You know, so there's this thing where you and I, I think, are called to steward the gifts God gives us. I think we steward faith. I think we walk by faith. I think we read the word of God and we operate in relationship with God and we take action based on our faith so that it would be nurtured and growing and shown in the world. Did Jesus know this woman had faith before she said a word? Probably because he was Jesus, but you or I wouldn't have known. Until what? Her tenacious request, her pursuit of him in faith. It's a great lesson to us. I want to conclude with James chapter 2. 
17 through 19. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. You can believe and have no works. That's not faith. But belief with works is alive. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Oh, you believe? That's great. Even demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? James doesn't pull any punches. This guy will go right for the heart of the matter. Can I just say something? Even demons believe. Belief isn't enough. Basic acknowledgement of facts is not enough. Faith has more substance. O come all ye faithful. You who are full of faith, come and worship this king. You know how you, you want to be joyful and triumphant? It comes from faith. Hearing, reading, learning, and walking with God and realizing how faithful he is, our faith begins to grow. Would you stand with me, please, as we pray and wrap up the service? How do we grow our faith? Lord, help us increase our faith. How does that work? Does it work like that? Listen, walk with God. Pray. Pray every day. People, I don't know how to pray. Hey, just start talking to God like he's sitting in the seat next to you, because he is. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. He's right here. You're every word he hears. Sometimes I just wake up in the morning and say, good morning, Lord. Kind of seems silly, but it just sort of brings the reality in that he's right there. Pray. Read your word. If you're reading through like lamentations and nothing makes sense, then skip to the New Testament and read one of the Gospels. You don't have to read it in order. Or pray and say, God, is there a particular book you like? Start listening for the Holy Spirit's voice in your life. And your faith will grow. And you'll see some amazing things. Because God is faithful. Lord, we, Lord, I pray for all those today that are struggling with faith today. Maybe they're, want, maybe they're Lord, give me faith for healing or faith for a relationship or faith for a, a child or faith for provision. Faith for my own salvation. I'm really unsure whether you like me or not. Whatever the issue is that a person is struggling with in faith today, God, increase their faith. Lord, bring revelation to them because with your revelation, our faith grows. Whether it's through your word or through the power of the Holy Spirit, it grows in us. And God, I pray you would be growing it in those that in their heart right now are crying out to you for that. God, I pray that you bless each one as they go today, that you continue to transform us and lead us in your way. In Jesus' name, amen.